This is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you're listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5, episode 45, Matters of Honor. I used to be a starship base. Then I was transferred to this place. Now I'm stuck in a desk job every day. I'm a military governor. And politics bores me every single day. But just then a long-haired hippie pays a call to save his friends, no protocol. Dylan wants me to save them all and just gave me a real sweet ride. So if you need me, I'll be in space in my white star. You can call, but I probably won't hear you because I won't leave my complaint Message, I'll get back to you and I'll be sitting inside at a table in a meeting. You can beg, but I probably won't answer because I'm flying a white star now. I think this ship is what I need. It's better than a racktop jeep. <coughs> To find my mojo and feel lively again It's not a midlife crisis Don't even know what would make you say that Maybe we all should take a jolly ride A new adventure side by side I won't feel so preoccupied If we are fighting for our lives So if you need me, I'll be in space In my white star You can call, but I probably won't hear you Because I won't leave my comlink on I'll get back to you and I'll be inside At a table, in a meeting You can beg, but I probably won't answer Because I'm flying a white star now I can't believe they made this white star just for me wouldn't have done it for Sinclair. What does it mean <laughs> that Dylan gave me my own ship? What's she trying to tell me? White Star <laughs> is a new breed of Barry warship. Smaller than our other features, faster than our super size. Uses both Minbari or I've got a secret warship now. I ought to use it well somehow. We're approaching the point of no return (laughs) But I blew up a shadow I'm two for two on unbeatable enemies And as we detonate the mark at gate And speed away, I'm feeling great But then I know that lying in wait Londo wants to meet with me So if you need me, I'll be in space In my white star You can call, but I probably won't hear you Because I won't leave my comlink on I'll get back to you another day Because you'll be inside At a table In a meeting You can beg, but I probably won't answer Because I'm flying a white star now (laughs) It's been too long (laughs) Wow I am impressed. I am duly impressed. (laughs) What better way to celebrate a new season? Hear, hear. Okay. Okay. And as always, or well, second time, I should say, uh, Chip borrowed the music of Jonathan Colton under his Creative Commons license. Uh, The link will be in the show notes uh, if you care to go take a look and uh, listen again. So don't blame Colton. Blame me. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Okay, so um, as we said, new season, Matters of Honor, starts season three of Babylon 5. So how do we, how are we feeling going into season three? <laughs> I'm pretty I like excited. That. I like that. <laughs> and it just, I felt like this overall was just, it, it felt like a strong, strong way to start. I, I mm-hmm. didn't, you know me, I never remember what happened in any particular episode. So I, I knew that we were going to get Marcus in this episode, but that was, I didn't actually remember how he had joined the show. I didn't, I didn't remember anything specific. So it was just, it, it was just fun feeling like, feeling like we're opening up this whole new world of mm-hmm. season three. 
a whole new world. Oh, jeez. Okay, um, one song's enough, dear. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I'll be good. <laughs> so, Chip, what about you? Um, I'm just intrigued. Uh, this is a statement that doesn't spoil anything intrinsic to the show. This is sort of peeking behind the curtain a little bit about how the show was made, but... This and we and we have sort of announced it in uh, previous episodes, but this season was intended start to finish to be written by one man, one poor schlub named J. Michael Straczynski. Something um, that had never been done before. Something that had never been done before on American network television. Twenty-two episodes. This starts now. Um, episodes one through twenty-two of this season all written by the one guy um and i'm kind of excited about this because uh you know it's it it, it was planned out and we get to see the singular vision of one showrunner almost completely unmediated uh, for good and ill and i'm just really excited to be doing the rewatch now knowing that this is all one person's baby um that that that, that just really excites me we got a new opening credit sequence, too. We yes, sure we did. did. Yeah. yeah. And it had some intriguing stuff in it, but it otherwise sucked. <laughs> did it? Uh-huh. I got to admit, I'm not a big fan of the heads in the jump in the jump point stuff and the slow turns and all that stuff. And so many shots from uh, previous seasons. Um, I, I love Ivanova's narration and the mystery involved in that very opening shot when uh, we have a couple of star furies mm-hmm. flying by at Babylon 5 as they normally do. Mm-hmm. And one of them blows up the other. What? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. just saying. I like I like the heads. I, I have no problem with that. So I'm fine with I'm, it. I have... I- I have no problem in theory with the heads. I, it would have been nice if there was a touch more uniformity, maybe. I don't know. Um, it's, you know, some of the characters are looking fairly serious. Some of the characters are, you know, kind of smiling. I mean, you know, Veer's, Veer's looking kind of terrified, which kind of fits with yeah. the situation. But, you know, it, I don't know if, if, you know, some of them look like they were just going for, you know, generic, you know, this is the face and others look like they were trying to convey character. I'm, yeah, it, maybe it, it, if there'd been a little more com- more uniformity one way or the other. It's a little too fourth wall breaking for me. I mean, uh, Richard Biggs is giving me he's practically giving me the Sylvester McCoy uh, Doctor Who sex wink. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, for me, it just it felt like. I, I kind of wanted, it felt extra professional. I wanted to sit up and take notice. I felt like this is a new season. Because last, mm-hmm. the last one, it was kind of like laid back, like, come on, join us on Babylon 5. We're having a good time. Like, it, it felt like a like a sitcom opening. And this feels more like an exciting, dramatic show opening to me. So so I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Now, I do have a question about the music. Is this different from last season? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, Steven was just like, is this different? I can't even tell. Like, he has real trouble. And he's a music guy. And he wasn't really able to delineate between this season's music and last season's. And I certainly can't, but I'm I'm not a musician like it's actually It's actually really, uh, really dramatic. I, I miss the, um, you know, the, the classic Babylon 5, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da stuff. You know, it doesn't show up in here at all. Instead, we get the... Uh, we get this the dramatic music that played during the Narn Shadow Assault that okay. uh, that uh, wiped out the um, the the Narn fleet, which you know thematically makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's really it's re- really clashy, really you know percussion and all this stuff. There's very little melody to it, um, and then we get the music that played during the mass driver bombardment of Narn. You know, it's it it is very different. Uh, I think the visuals are the visuals are different enough that. Um, from the sort of it's almost a tone poem kind of thing where you've got different shots from the first two seasons of you know war and people being horrified or suffering or things like that and then we switch to this long 
shot of uh, the camera rotating outside the station and the heads in the jump gate effect. So it doesn't surprise me that you didn't notice the change in music because the look of the mm-hmm. theme is so very different. I just I, I'm a sucker for conventional high drama theme uh, theme sequences, and I really miss the the five logo cutaway stuff. This is just a little too simplistic for me. Okay. I think I'd have to listen to both songs like right one after mm-hmm. one before one right after the other in order to to get the difference. And maybe someday mm-hmm. I'll do that. <laughs> YouTube can probably help you there. Yep. Yeah. Anything else for the moment before we get into everything? Let's just jump in. I'm excited. All right. Sounds good. Those of you who are watching for the very first time have decided that, you know, I'm just going to not worry about the first two seasons and plop myself down in a chair and start watching now. Welcome. Um, You know, (laughs) you should probably go back and watch the first two seasons when you can, because there's a lot of stuff that you um, need detail-wise to know. You'll Um, you'll want to after watching this season. True. You really, we really have reached the point where our what you need to know summaries can't really encompass the whole show anymore. True, nope. very true. <laughs> at least, uh, at least on the plus side, uh, this episode is very fastidious in trying to bring you up to speed. I think this episode, yeah, that's true. true. But anyway, what you need to know: the Rangers were a force that supported the Mimbari and Vorlons in a war against the Shadows a thousand years ago. The Mimbari religious caste have reactivated that force recruiting humans as well as their own to prepare for a new round of hostilities. They are led by Delenn and Sheridan. EarthGov has been moving very decidedly toward an isolationist position in intergalactic relations. The sudden appearance of a new, unknown, and seemingly very powerful ship has some of them worried. And then, in Matters of Honor, this episode... The Centauri are pushing to create buffer zones around their territory read, expand their borders, after thoroughly defeating the Narn. Londo feels secure enough to see about ending his relationship with the worrisome Mr. Morden. Morden is happy to comply with Londo's wishes as long as the Centauri stay on one side of a boundary and help his associates take care of a little issue they have on a planet called Zagro 7. Londo is disturbed to learn that Morden took that issue to Lord Rifa and left him out of the loop. A ranger named Marcus Cole escapes a Centauri dragnet around Zagros 7 to get word to Delenn of the threat to a colony of rangers training there. Delenn brings Sheridan and Ivanova to a rendezvous point and presents them with a new ship, the White Star. The vessel is a combination of Mimbari and Vorlon technology and their only chance of breaking the Centauri blockade before the Shadows can destroy the ranger camp. While Delenn urges swiftness and stealth, Sheridan is spoiling for a fight. When a shadow ship appears, Sheridan comes up with a plan that destroys it without revealing much of the White Star's capabilities. Sheridan then creates a war council of the station's senior staff officers, Delenn, and Marcus to begin battle plans. Finally, an EarthGov intelligence officer has been sent to investigate any source of information on the shadows, seen by most of the Earth population for the first time, from ship's camera footage recorded by Lieutenant Keffer before his death and leaked, <laughs> and leaked to ISN. Delenn and Sheridan hide their knowledge. Londo describes his prophetic dream, and Jakar shows him thousand-year-old records in a Narn Bible. The officer reports his lack of information to an EarthGov senator, who shares the news with Morden and a Psychop as they talk about what to do next. And that is Matters of Honor. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of what's new. We had, um, you know, a few things changed drastically last episode. And uh, here we go uh, with a whole, uh, whole host of new problems presented to us, it feels like. You know, uh, that summary could have been uh, dialed back to... Stuff happens. Yeah, that would work for every episode. Every single one. <laughs> well, okay, but in this one. Yes, I mean, lots of stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> um, I, I want to start with the end, if I may. Um, you may. Ooh, because conventionals. Well, that that very last that very last scene in the episode mm-hmm. where this this nice guy 
who uh, came to who came to Babylon Five to do his investigation, and and actually didn't freak out the way um, you know uh, I keep other Earth call, Gov people. I keep wanting to call that guy uh, Neville Chamberlain. You know the guy who um, wouldn't talk yeah. to Jakar. You know he Indawi didn't freak out. He wanted to talk to Jakar. He wanted to you know to fulfill mm-hmm. his mission. You know this nice guy reports that uh, they. B5 doesn't seem to know a whole lot about this uh, shadow vessel. And the senator just sort of dismisses Indali, and she doesn't seem to be she doesn't seem to be a fan of him. He seems I guess she thinks he's a, a goody goody or something like that. And then Morden walks in. Mm-hmm. Morden on Earth. Morden in Earth Dome, the seat of the Earth government. Oh my god. And then there's a psychop. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Actually, the first time Morden appeared in the episode at all, Stephen just gasped. He's like, space mob. (laughs) And then at the very end, he basically did the same thing. Seeing him appear on Earth, he was like, what is going on? He was actually so just (laughs) gobsmacked that we had Mr. Space Mob on Earth that he Mm -hmm. didn't even notice the psychop in the background. I had to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, apparently Morden's been circulating beyond Babylon 5 asking, what do you want? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 that is just that just ramps the tension up just so much and tells you that the story is getting bigger and bigger because up until this point the story's all been about the shadow and the centauri. Mm-hmm. You know, those entangling alliances. And it's a bigger problem and in the last season Sheridan and his his folks have ha- have been dealing with two problems the mystery of who assassinated president santiago and the fact that they don't feel that all of their government can be trusted and this rising shadow threat and in the last few minutes of this episode it certainly appears like it's all the same problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like it it, it simultaneously puts a lot of puzzle pieces into place, but at the same time, oh my God, this puzzle is a whole lot bigger than we thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's bold. I mean, to, to throw this in at the end of the very first episode of a new season, that this, that's the kind of hook that will keep people watching, I would hope. Yep, definitely. I was so, ex- I was so excited to see that. Um, and again, since I never remember what happens in a particular episode, I wasn't expecting that. As, as soon as we cut to to somebody on Earth, I, I kind of remembered what was mm-hmm. going to happen. But I still had that wonderful thrill, thrill mm-hmm. sensation of watching it for the first time, which I remember being like, what the what? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're going where now? What's happening? Oh, man, it's just it's. I love your your analogy about like it fitting puzzle pieces into and then discovering that the puzzle is a lot bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's one, you know one piece that happened to be obscuring part of your vision that suddenly slips into place, and then you see that there's you know three more layers beyond that. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Did we not tell you that it's a three dimensional puzzle? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's that is that is what it feels like to to watch the end of this story. Mm-hmm. And not only not only Morden, but the Psycops. I mean, we haven't seen much of the Psycops since, um, you know, well, not even Divided Loyalties. That was all a, they were all in the background as uh, Lita tried to discover where control was. But it's been like, you know, early mid season two since we've had a lot of glimpses of Psycops that I can remember. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, kind of like they were sort of allowed to sort of fade into the background and you forgot about them for a little mm-hmm. while. Until <laughs> like the best all the best plot twists. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um anything else with that part of the story chip? Um well, as long as we're talking about Morden, I guess okay. it's a good time to talk about Morden's relationship with uh, Londo and with the Centauri. Okay. Or or the end thereof. I thought that was very interesting to see that Londo, like like Shannon said in the in the intro, Londo is feeling confident enough that he's he's ready to to cut off Morden, which is that in itself I don't think is surprising that he wants to cut Morden off because I feel like we've been seeing seeds of that throughout the last mm-hmm. season and he's been becoming more and more uncomfortable with the power of these these new allies and I think he's wanted to to get rid of Morden for a long time, but he always had so much leverage. And now the thing that Londo wanted, uh, he's pretty much got. He's his 
his country or his country, sorry, his, his planet has mm-hmm. taken back has taken back Narn and they're strong enough that they're able to take a few more territories. I still don't know if he believes that they're really trying to create a buffer zone or if they're going to try to take over everything. And I don't think that that matters. I just what matters mm-hmm. is that he feels that they are powerful enough to do whatever it is they want to do. So he's just, you know, cutting bait and saying, all right, you're out, Morden. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, Morden goes along with it. Yeah, because Morden doesn't need Londo anymore, and that's what yeah. I think is really telling. Mm-hmm. No, Londo has been Londo has been afraid of the shadows to a certain extent, and then and you know he told Rifa before the bombardment of Narn that you know his associates were beginning to worry him, and Rifa dismisses this. So. Londo is simultaneously operating from a position of strength that he believes he has. He doesn't need, you know, the Narn stuff is over and done with, and he feels like the Singatari can handle their own uh, matters from here on out. Um, and also that's that that's still wariness. He doesn't want to be in, he doesn't want to be vulnerable to the shadows if they should happen to turn on him. So, okay, fine. He's going to break the relationship. Then a few things happen. Andawi visits him and uh, asks him about the shadow vessels. And we find out definitively that Londo's vision was of shadow ships over what he believes to be Centauri Prime mm-hmm. in, in his, his, as part of his vision of his death. And this worries him. And he starts wondering clearly because of the conversation that he has with Morden. Wait a minute, are these those guys? <laughs> he then finds out from Morden that Morden's been talking to Reef and made arrangements to deal with uh, Zagros Seven, and all of a sudden, Londo has entirely second thoughts about breaking off things with Mister Morden because wait a minute. If the shadows deal with somebody else, that means I'm not special anymore, and my mm-hmm. position isn't secure as secure as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And that just happens in the space of a couple of minutes. He's mm-hmm. no longer sure that he's made the right call, but it's too late. He asks Morden if he can see one of their ships sometime, and Morden just basically blows him off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Londo's been cut off. Londo's got nothing, and he got exactly what he wanted— and he's not happy about it. Story of Londo's life so far. Mm-hmm. Though I have to say that the refusal to, to show Londo their ships didn't seem at all petty or, or anything. Because, I mean, Londo had just said, hit the road, Jack. So if somebody had yeah. done that to me, I probably wouldn't be wanting to show him my ships either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Londo's just, at this point, he's become kind of a nasty character. Um, he's simp- He's still sympathetic in some ways. You know, you... His fear over the um, revelation of the shadow ship, you know, it's 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 interesting stuff. But he rose above his station and then he just realized how precarious it is. He could fall mm-hmm. any time. Yeah. Yeah. The the part about um, Rifa sort of now being in contact with his special friends is the part that kind of makes me smile the most. Uh, it's just, you know, shouting Freida because he's... Oh, you know, you just hate that feeling where you finally get rid of somebody and then they, you know, even like, you know, in petty high school terms, you've got the the friend who's just, you know, manipulative and and doesn't really like you. And you finally manage to get them out of your life. And then they start hanging on like, you know, your biggest rival in your friend group. And it's just like, no, (laughs) it's it's that's a horrible feeling. And you really I I think Peter Jurassic played that very well. The look Mm -hmm. on his face when he finds out you've been talking to Lord Rifa. Ugh. Ouch, that's a gut punch. I didn't think you went to my high school. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was every high school. (laughs) We've got a lot of new things. Um, New season, new stuff. We have a new character. Um, I have been so excited, could not wait for the appearance of Marcus. He is one of my favorite characters in the show. And you mean we're going to see him again? Well, I guess he was in the credits. He is in the opening credits. He's in the opening credits. That's not spoilery. 
that is not spoiler. We have seen that. Then you know, again, then again, we've had some people in the opening credits. Yeah, who have taken very. Have not part. been here very often, but it's it's a clear enough indicator that yeah. Marcus will be back at some point. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he was he was sitting with them, and this was something that actually caught Stephen by surprise. He was sitting with them in the at war the council in at the, the end, council. and Stephen was like, "Why is that guy still here? He, you know, didn't he leave with the other rangers they saved?" And then he was like, "Oh no, wait, he was on the White Star with them, so I guess it makes mm-hmm. sense that he would come back." So yes, yeah. And Sheridan says that in the War Council will be the ranger on duty or whatever the phrase is at the stationed time. Stationed at, so, I think. Stationed at B5. So at the moment, that appears to be Marcus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pretty happy to see to see him, too. I mean, even, you know, I, I don't have to go into any future episodes to say why I like him. We've got mm-hmm. a, a a cute guy with nice cheekbones um, and a, a British accent who fights with a, you know, automatic expanding quarterstaff and just in a a black cloak oh swoon Mm -hmm. and on top of that during the fight he smacks somebody with the stick and then immediately tosses it to delin yeah yes 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 yeah and she can swing one of those too a little bit yeah Mm -hmm. that was cool to see yeah um, sorry I, i i love at the end of that fight there's a bit of exhaustion and adrenaline rush Lanier and Delin, and especially Delin, seem to be a little satisfied with, hey, uh huh, uh-huh. we did pretty good here. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Jason Carter is uh, a marvelous, marvelous actor. Um, I've seen him in several other things, um, mostly since Babylon 5, where, you know, he, he tends to have that, in most cases, you know, sort of that, you know, sort of suave, debonair air to him in, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Uh, but he does a really good job bringing this character to life of somebody who, you know, at first wasn't interested in chasing legends. We've heard about legends before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, get, gets into it uh, because of his brother. He is finishing what his brother started. Uh, in the opening credits, we immediately get a moment, you know, he realizes that the Drazi that was trying to get him beyond the net of mines has been killed and you know he takes a second as he's leaving to um wish him on his way uh he seems to really appreciate he retells the story about how the ranger badges are made and you know with a lot of affection's not the right word respect worship something he reverence maybe. reverence thank you yeah he really seems to care about things very strongly even, what, whatever it is that he's he's on to he, he's very very passionate about and even like the things that. that he doesn't believe in, literally. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's mm-hmm. he's he's kind of reflective about the uh, story about the Ranger badge, and then Delin asks him if he believes the story, and he says, "I gave up believing things a long time ago." Mm-hmm. And she's sort of put off by that, but he's got some contradictions about him. He's got wit. Uh, I love the way that he um, uh, insults the thug. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's just got that great mixture of wit and um, seriousness. Mm-hmm. If Keffer had been like this, oh, if if Keffer had been JMS's idea, mm-hmm. you know, Marcus was JMS's idea, and uh, therein lies the difference for me. That... Yeah, but they but they they inhabit similar roles in this episode. Marcus is. The guy in the ship, uh, the 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 sort of ground level, um, you know, not quite a gropo, but, you know, he's the muscle. And that's the sort of thing that Keffer could have done if the stories and the acting had um, sort of permitted it. Um, but, yeah, it's a, um, it's it's a, they seem to fulfill similar roles in the show. Yeah, Stephen has taken to calling Marcus Strider because he's a ranger. Of course. And, and he fights well. Uh, he, at first he was like, I'm going to call him Aragorn. No, no, I'm going to call him Strider. And then and then he compared him to Darth Maul later on when his uh, Mimbari fighting pike, you know, shot out from either mm-hmm. side. He was yeah. he, he swore a little bit. I won't I won't quote exactly, but he's like, he's bleeping Darth Maul. So, <laughs> yep. I'm I'm cool with calling him Strider. That's fine with me. So so uh, Marcus is Darth Maul. Uh, Keffer was Poe Dameron. (laughs) Don't insult Poe Dameron like that. (laughs) I'll let it go now. I'll let it go. Keffer's dead. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, we have Marcus, this interesting new character tossed into the mix. And 
Uh, we have a um, we as Chip's uh, song at the beginning told us we we, we got a new ship. Sheridan's Ooh. got a new toy, Shiny which we new ride. saw, which we saw in the credits before we it was actually <laughs> yeah. introduced in the show. Yeah. That's true. But anybody watching for the first time, there's so many images coming at you in those, yeah. that opening credit sequence that I don't know. I mean, Stephen didn't say anything about it, even as it was going past on the on the screen. He didn't go, oh, what kind of ship is that? I think it was just all washing over him. But yeah, I mean, you know, and on the one hand, we've got this shiny new toy that, um, you know, Sheridan gets to take out for the first time and find out what it can do. On the other hand, it also sort of represents the the depth and how long the commitment has been going on uh, for the Mimbari and the Vorlons trying to get ready for this. I mean, you know, who knows how long they have been working to design this ship and get it prepared, carefully making sure that only the religious caste was involved because, you know, the warrior caste can't be relied upon to believe in the cause, that sort of thing. Not, you know, Sheridan and Ivanova are, you know, kind of, their jaws are kind of dropping at not just the technology itself, but what it represents. Yeah, I made fun of it in the song, but there's no way that this just happened like in the last year or two. This has mm-hmm. been something that has been planned. And it's also, it was, it's also according to JMS, part of the plan of the show from the beginning. Um, the Defiant in Deep Space Nine predates this by about a year and, and change, like uh, 14 months or something like that. So predictably, the fanish rivalries between Star Trek fans and Babylon 5 fans, you know, the assumption was that the White Star was just a copy of the Defiant. And Which I will say, Stephen, after it was done, he's like, well, I'm going to call that ship the Defiant. I was like, you course. are so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And yet, you know, there are only so many ways that you can solve the problem of how do you tell a story that is based on a space station, especially when it implies it's supposed to have implications around a broader galaxy. You're going to have to have a ship at some point. You can't just do it. You know, they couldn't do it in DS9 with runabouts. You can't just do it with shuttlecraft. You know, you at some point you've got to have a ship. Yep. Exactly. And boy, what a ship. And well, it it looks it looks weird and cool on the outside. Um it it looks kind of cheap on the inside. Um It looks weird and organic and Almost borderline gross, actually. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of, it kind of does. Uh, which and it's got that sort of modeling kind of thing that uh, the Vorlon ships have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it looks, it looks, it looks semi-organic and all that stuff. But you've got some of the same wide corridors that you had in the big Minbari cruisers. Um, you know, they're just colored a little differently, a little too big, I think. Um, that was know. actually a neat, that was a neat moment <clears throat> with, the, just acting as they're walking through that large corridor, you get Sheridan mm-hmm. and Ivanova just kind of looking around and g- like gawking, being mm-hmm. like, what is going on here? Cause that's not a normal spaceship thing for, for earth for sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it, 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 the white star sequences look a little cheap to me um in terms of the set design uh some of the some of the animation stuff that they do with the holographic screen and especially when they blow up the markab gate and everybody shakes and they did all these bad video effects with the sparks and things like that and even um even in the direction um this is uh Kevin Crimmins again Crimmins again um who directs a few episodes of Babylon 5, but made a bigger, much bigger name for himself later on as a producer for shows like Sons of Anarchy. It's a little, it's a little pedestrian. Um, the the staging and the blocking of uh, background characters on the on the bridge of the White Star, things like that. It's it's competent, but it's not. It doesn't blow me away. I can see that. I think I, I think what works better is uh, the actors you know, carrying off this situation. Uh, I had forgotten a bit just what a contrast uh, in the approaches of Delenn and Sheridan have have been, and it really sort of comes to the forefront here uh, when they have to take this ship out for the first time and go do something, because Delenn's been the one saying, like, we can't let them know we know. We we have to wait. We have to be patient. We have to just, you know, make sure that the Rangers can get away and, and nothing else. And Sheridan's just like, uh, I think we need to, you know, do more. I think we need to do something. And then the shadow ship presents itself, and Delenn is all like, let's run away, run away. And Sheridan's like, don't tell me the odds. 
You know, he, he's, <laughs> he's been in this situation before. He has been able to take down what seems to be an invincible uh, enemy before. So he comes up with a plan and it succeeds. So um, I really liked the interplay uh, between uh, Boxleitner and Furlan, uh, showing those op- opposing sides to their characters. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bit of a resonance here that um, in the very previous episode, Ivanova gives Sheridan a piece mm-hmm. of the Black Star to mm-hmm. remind him that, you know, and the very next episode, he beats an unbeatable ship again. Yeah, to remind him and the viewer, I think yep. is is how that worked, and it was, and that worked out very nicely. And I think, I think Shannon, I completely agree with you. I loved all of the performances and and what was going on while we were having all these white star scenes. So I didn't even really notice the set all that much, except for you know the fact that it's controlled by crystals and it has that weird organic look to it. That mm. was about all. But I, I, maybe I will credit my you know decades of watching classic Doctor Who in that I'm able to just watch stuff without even noticing special effects most of the time. I just pay attention to the story. <laughs> yeah. I do have a limited tolerance for the spaceship is hit, sparks fly out of the panels and everybody <laughs> falls to their chairs and things like that. There's only, I know that you have to do that once in a while, but especially as organic and high tech and alien that this ship is supposed to be for it to go to just... You Would know, you have rather it spurted goo or something instead of sparks? Hmm. Maybe, or that just would have maybe been interesting. Maybe, or maybe just not going so far with it. I think that there's only so far. Maybe a few sparks. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just at this point in my sci-fi watching career, that's kind of just the visual equivalent of white noise. I don't even notice it anymore. If if we're talking like organic technology and living ships, how about like a you know a screech in the background from the ship? <laughs> you know, and it's in pain. Yeah, that, uh, but I can I can understand being sort of tired of that visual trope because yes it is it is something that's kind of ubiquitous. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and tropes can be fine if they're again I I think that uh, this was a competently directed episode, but I think we're going to get Mike Vihar in next week or something like that. You know, uh, and you know Stephen the director file you know he 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 knows when a episode is going to be well directed and i'm and i'm sort of catching that as well uh yeah well he quite enjoyed this one from hmm. a you know it wasn't it wasn't quite the mike vehar level but he he definitely felt actually when it was over he said that he he liked it it felt very assured like this was a hmm. mature episode not just from the direction but from everything uh that it just felt very sure of itself as a show and he was he was he seemed very pumped up and excited once it was done and said that he liked the direction so we're it started off on a good foot which i appreciate now well speaking of assured i mean it's uh one of the interesting things about this episode is that on the one hand because this was made for syndication um and this was back in the 90s you know the assumption and, and for god's sake you know it it kept flying from independent tv station to station back mm-hmm. in those days it was never consistently on in any place so when you've got a new season, you have to assume that you've got a new audience who has no idea what the heck they're watching. So there are exposition dumps all over the place in this episode. However, at the same time, it's not a 101 kind of thing. You know, Ivanova gives you in, in, a, in, a, in a mildly funny scene, you know, in... Uh, Everything you need to know about the Rangers. And, yeah. About the Rangers and the Shadows, yeah, mm-hmm. in, in just a, a paragraph, and you know, because she knows everything. Because she knows everything, but that doesn't stop us from taking last year's plot and significantly advancing it. There, there are recaps in the episode, but the episode itself is not a recap. We're we're moving, we're moving. Mm-hmm. Episode one, series three, Londo quits his relationship with the Shadows. Episode one, series three, we get a new spaceship. Episode 1, Series 3, we find out that the Shadows and the Psychops, or at least some of the Psychops, are in League, and they are in Earth Dome, and, you know, we're we're hand-holding our audience, 
but not totally. And it doesn't feel like it. I mean, one of my biggest complaints about some of the earlier episodes was the exposition dumps that just felt unnatural. And I didn't even recognize that there were exposition dumps in this episode until you just pointed that out as we mm-hmm. record here. And now that I look back, I can be like, oh, yeah, sure enough, that was an exposition dump. But everything was running along so smoothly and I was so excited about everything. And it, it made sense for all of the characters to say all of the words that they said that I didn't mm-hmm. notice, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I also like the fact that they managed to work in a fairly natural way, in my opinion, for most of the episode. They actually managed to um, touch on most of the characters very quickly, one way or the other. We get Sheridan talking to Kosh briefly, um, you know, and the first time Kosh gives him a straight answer, you know, being seen by so many people in my natural form is a strain. So I had to go and like rest for a while. And then he goes back to cryptic Kosh again. Um, we've got, you know, Franklin, we, you know, establish again that, you know, he's the doctor, he's in charge of MedLab, MedLab's got new bigger quarters, which is nice and helpful. Um, we've got, you know, the, through the Earth government, through, um, Nadali, um, we get, you know, a quick visit with Jakar, a quick visit with Londo, um, and so forth. Uh, and then we get, you know, uh, Jerry Doyle gets a few minutes to be totally ridiculously funny with Garibaldi awesome. explaining, you know, how he, how he doesn't, how he knows he doesn't know what he knows. Um, which, you know, it, it's kind of ridiculous, but I laughed. I loved it. I thought his delivery was, was perfect. I thought yeah. that was, that was, that was one of my favorite, you know, comedy lightening the mood sort of moments it was mm-hmm. good comic relief plus yeah. he got a haircut this is true <laughs> yeah so we we get this chance to sort of you know for anybody who is just getting on board they do a quick snapshot of you know here's some of the different characters and this is how they fit into um in, into this story structure uh that you know works pretty well and feels you know flows flows for the most part we mentioned um you know, the the fact that with, with the White Star, we're, we're going out. And I think that's sort of what this episode tends to do. It's like sort of preparing the idea that, you know, the, the Narn Centauri conflict is essentially over and things are taking off on new fronts. There's new things that have to be taken care of, um, such as, you know, the White Star being introduced as a way for the Babylon 5 staff to take the fight out to where it's going on. As you said, you can't be, you know, stuck in in the same place the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. That only works with, like, Archie Bunker. Um, so... <laughs> I, lo- I do love how Sheridan at the end is uh, the formation of the War Council, basically, mm-hmm. is something that I think is, is fantastic. And I love how Sheridan is talking about, you know, he learned early on that a lack of information can get you killed. And that's a bad thing. And I so appreciate it on TV shows when characters are open with each other and tell other characters things that it makes sense to tell other characters. Mm-hmm. A lot of drama on, on shows, you know, especially like soap operas and, and sitcoms and stuff, comes from people not having all of the information and quite often in those cases it's information they really should have had people people tell each other more things in real life than they do on tv shows so it was nice for me to see that sort of recognized out loud and the fact that sheridan really is committed to keeping everybody as safe as possible so Mm -hmm. he's he's trusting these people and i think that that's that's cool it gives us a core I'm I've just been sort of drifting here for a little bit because some somebody said something that made <laughs> me wonder about Stephen. And oh. that was that scene early on with Kosh and Sheridan when Sheridan actually complains at how cryptic Kosh is. <laughs> and Kosh says and good. when Sheridan says that you're he's you know, I really hate it when you do that and Kosh says good I got to know uh, you know this is our Stephen and Kosh check in <laughs> uh, he he laughed he laughed at that moment a little bit I think not as much as I was kind of hoping but but he noticed that um and then uh, another kind of funny thing that is Kosh related when when Marcus showed up and Marcus was uh being very well, first of all, Marcus sits down on a chair backwards and Stephen just goes, oh, of course he sits like that. Um, <laughs> but then but then he was uh, being I can't remember. Marcus says, oh, what is this? And Marcus says it's a beginning. You know, he's very, you know, two words, very cryptic. And Stephen's just like, what are you an effing Vorlon? So <laughs> I think Stephen is still still annoyed by by the crypticness of Kosh. But I think he 
appreciates the fact that he's not the only one that's noticing it, that there are in-world characters who are getting that as well. Yeah, I just I had to laugh, though, myself with Kasha's good, because to me, that almost struck me as, okay, you're just teasing him now. You're just yeah. taking the Mickey out of Sheridan now, just for the heck of it, and that—that that is like the most human thing we have seen you done, seen you do so far. Um, yeah, in my notes, I actually have Kosh. What a scamp! Yeah, which I said out loud, and then Stephen laughed at me. So yeah, I, I had something similar there written written down, um, and and I also like that scene for the fact that it sort of backpedals um, the the dudes as the dudes as Machina of mm-hmm. uh, Fall of Night of having you know Kosh you know appear all angelic and. A bit of an explanation of um, the fact that, you know, Kasha's power is not limitless, you know, or anything like that, that, you know, he had to go and uh, recover and recuperate from doing this. So it sort of helps bring it back down a little bit, which I appreciated. Also, they make it clear that that not everybody recognized that that was Kosh, which I think right. you can kind of gather from the previous episode, but not 100%. Like, I, I wondered mm-hmm. how many people actually noticed that this, this figure came from Kosh's encounter suit. And it seems like people didn't really know that. They just thought it was their religious figure showing mm-hmm. up there. So it's they're, yeah. they're not tying the two together. Exactly. Um, so we've got... Um some various a uh, couple of guest actors of course ed wasser is back as morden and you know does the usual <laughs> usual morden job um very very well um we have tucker smallwood playing the earth gov intelligence officer in dolly uh, yep yeah in dolly um he's uh, a character actor of many 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 um tv credits um some people may recognize him from uh star trek enterprise where he played a recurring character uh a counselor of some sort and, uh, you know, still working, still doing things uh, right to this day. Um, and as far as I could tell, he, he did a, you know, a solid job of, you know, being being the being the intelligence gatherer, um, being polite as he dealt with all of these um, ambassadors, making sure he didn't step on any toes. And apparently being on the up and up, you know, yeah. it was nice to it was nice to see an EarthGov figure who wasn't venal or wasn't mm-hmm. part of the Ministry of Peace or something like that. He's just a normal good guy doing a doing, doing a job. good doing his job, doing it well for people that he doesn't know are Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's nice to have a reminder that that there are good people on Earth. I mean, it seems like we've kind of been building up Earth as this this place that's becoming more and more sort of big brothery fascist and stuff, but, yeah, but there are still f- plenty of folks on Earth who uh are just normal people doing their their thing, trying to get along with their lives, not part of a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got um, a surprising number of continuity nods in this episode. Um, we've got several callbacks. Um, we mentioned that we here mentioned the effect of alcohol on the Mimbari um, as <laughs> yep. Marcus brings the drinks and says, "No, it's okay." And uh, and linear poison tastes at first, just to make sure. <laughs> um, that goes back to the quality of mercy. Uh, where uh, Londo has to um, take a drink away from Lanier before he starts, um, before he starts <laughs> it. Um, also mentioned in the Quality of Mercy and more recently in There All the Honor Lies, um, the how Mimbari deal with truth. We, we've had mm-hmm. this notion, this reputation of the Mimbari do not lie. And the minute Delenn said, I have never seen one of these ships before, I'm like, yeah, that's dead truth, but that doesn't tell you a thing. <laughs> Um, so she and and she towards the end, she um, lies to cover up um, the trip out in the White Star to uh, Nindali. Uh, so that's saving Sheridan's honor. So mm-hmm. we get that sort of continuity there. Uh, we have Londo's dream, of course, uh, which we have seen from the coming of shadows. Um, and we even get this tiny little bit um, as J- as Jakar is flipping through the um, the book of Jaquan. It's like the previous page. There's this sketch of a plant. Um, that's the Jaquaneth that had created such a big deal in By Any Means Necessary, where he oh, was trying right. to where he was trying to get a, a, a plant, a hold of a plant to conduct the ceremony that they needed to do. So, all kinds of little things that just you know they keep those threads up. I think one of my favorite parts of this episode was Delenn, and the the big things that she does in this episode are the small things for me. So she's you know. She doesn't have a huge, huge role here, but I feel like 
Mira Furlan just plays a couple of moments so tightly that I that I just adore it. Um, I love the moment. I love that she's calling him John now. Like, I know mm-hmm. that that's something that's well established, but just seeing it happen more, it's still a little bit jarring to hear her call him John. And that mm-hmm. that gives me a little a little tickle inside, which I like. In um, private, they're still captain, captain and ambassador on, on yeah. yeah in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a moment where Marcus calls her Delenn and mm-hmm. she widens her eyes just a little bit when they're sitting at the table in the, the skeevy bar. You know, I think mm-hmm. he says, I need your help, Delenn. And she's just like, it's such a it's such a tiny, tiny little motion, but it, mm-hmm. it, it played big on the screen. And I think that worked really well. Uh, and the other moment was another Delenn and Sheridan moment when they are on the Bridge of the White Star. And I think that's where they were at the time. It's when Lanier uses the phrase, we didn't want to put all of our eggs in one basket, which is the, you know, earth phrase. Mm -hmm. The way Delenn looks at Sheridan at that moment just hit me like straight through the heart. She's she's so proud she like she's like see i've even taught my attache some of your some of your <laughs> phrases look at him i'm i'm so proud but this is all for you i think it, i missed that i need to go back and look oh again. yeah you have to just yeah. just watch that scene her i look just is amazing. remember being sort of blown away slightly that you know they uh, marcus throws the pike at her and she's she barely hesitates she's like okay i've got this and then she starts swinging and um and defending lanier and defending herself Yep. Um, There's that, it, that one little bit when Marcus ducks and she cocks the uh, cold cocks the um, other the thug, thug over yeah. his head uh, with the stick. It's just yeah, <laughs> who knew? Exactly, I like that. Actually, it is a bit of a callback to all the way back to the gathering. The gathering, yep. Yeah. When when she when she's uh, carrying uh, when she's carrying Garibaldi out of the alien sector. Now, mind you, at the time they were making the show. Under the assumption that that Delenn was, was a male, a male character right? that was going to go through a gender change once uh, going through the, the chrysalis, but even so, you know they mm-hmm. they they made mm-hmm. that change uh, before the show aired, uh, and she, they still left in the fact that Delenn is physically capable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, can we think of anything else? We want to touch upon before we go through our gate that will hopefully not explode. <laughs> well, speaking of that, my, my one last thought is yes. just I love how the shadow ships are just so badass and so scary. The, the, mm-hmm. the shadow ship doesn't technically go through the jump gate the way a normal right. ship does. It's no, just it's suddenly yeah. in hyperspace. And luckily it did follow them so that it was in the location of the jump gate so that when it blew, the, the ship got blown up as well. But yeah, like that was something that I, even in watching the show before, I had never noticed that that little that little tidbit about shadow ships that they don't actually need jump gates the same way. And I mean, we've been seeing them just sort of fade out of existence before, but Mm -hmm. I I never really put it together in my mind that, oh yeah, they're just fading into hyperspace. That's their version of of jumping Mm -hmm. into hyperspace. Yeah. Something I noticed this time uh, as well, um, at least once and maybe a couple of times when, um, when the dolly is showing the footage to various people, there's sort of like in the background in the, any music or cues, there's a bit of a thunderclap, you know, just sort of to emphasize these things are bad. These, these <laughs> things, these things are dangerous. These things are not good, which, you know, makes the fact that Sheridan was able to take one out completely. You know, first, you know, Delenn is like, you know, they never miss, you know, how could they have missed? And, you know, her brief section brief flash of hope that maybe this ship you know is is it and sheridan's mm-hmm. like no they need to find out information about us that yep. they're they're trying to they're trying to disable us um and then he comes up with his way an elegant way you know that's mm-hmm. a nice touch of character that he's able to figure out a way to take out the marcab gate um and eliminate the um ease of looting that world um after its population was wiped out completely yeah uh, that moment actually, though, reminded me of, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a grumpy Gus about some of the performances, a little bit of the dialogue and some of the direction, um, just like The Fall of Night. Uh, there is some unsubtle stuff happening in this episode, and I think that that's OK. It's a season premiere. You've got to move the plot along. You've, you know, it, you can't be too delicate about a story like this. But I remember the first time I was watching this episode, uh, I was in my apartment uh, with my uh, roommate from grad school who just sort of wandered through the living room and saw 
Bruce Boxleitner delivering his line about, I do not like grave robbers. And he just found that very funny. Um, it wasn't, it, it, it's not a, it's not a um, perfectly delivered line uh, on Bruce Boxleitner's part, although probably he did that better than Michael O'Hare would have. Um, but this one is still a little rough around the edges for me. And um, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still sort of, trying to figure out what that means for me uh, as much as I love this show and I love everything that's happening here in terms of plot mechanics and how we're getting from point A to point B the path is fantastic sometimes I feel like I'm if sometimes I feel like it's a gravel path and I'm on a racing bike instead of a mountain bike I don't know it's uh, <laughs> that's I think that there are things that could be done better in the execution um, of what is a fantastic plot. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So can we think of anything else to sum up matters nope, of honor I'm, for the moment? I'm good to go. Okay, Chip, you got it out of your system? I, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. Then for those of you for whom this is the first time around, uh, this is your departure point. Your homework for next time is convictions. Uh, Chip will be moderating that one. You are welcome to come talk about this episode and previous episodes at our website, b5audioguide.com, where there are spoiler-free threads for your enjoyment. You can rehash everything you've seen up to now without fear. We also are on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide, and you are welcome to come and talk to us there as well. So for those of you for whom you know what's coming up, we have a little more to say on the other side of a jump gate. And we're back. And now we get to talk about things that happen in this episode and uh, in this season, next season, uh, last season. To our heart's content. So we get, you know, Marcus for um, roughly, what, two seasons, season and a half? Two seasons. Mm -hmm. Two full seasons. Two two full seasons. We do get them for two full seasons. Yay. Uh, We have the first of what will be many, many, many white stars. Yeah, I love the fact that they're just, they're just, the white stars are just numbered. They don't give them all individual names. Yeah. And of course, we have um, the twin um, setups of the fact that, you know, the shadows apparently have influence on Earth. um, And we're going to find out just how bad that is during the course of the next couple seasons. And uh, of course, Sheridan begins the War Council, which will turn into a very pivotal, powerful group uh, trying to direct the side of the Army of Light as they try to battle the shadows. So whole lot, whole lot's going to be happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Marcus is a fantastic character, and we just—I I just had to hold back from effusing so much about him because you know yep. we don't know how important he's going to be. You know, mm-hmm. Natath is gone from the cr- opening credits. Uh, Talia is gone from the opening credits. There is no Lita in the opening credits, so this could be another situation of what the f is this new guy doing in the opening credits? Mm-hmm. But um, as we intimated before the spoiler section. Uh, Marcus is a far better drawn character. He is the best new character that we've gotten. And I'm sure that there are some people who uh, didn't like him. I know JMS himself called him a bit of a wish fulfillment character because JMS had no hair and was not was not in the best of shape. And no, so of course we're going to bring in <laughs> we're going to bring in a hero with flowing hair and uh, d- devil may care attitude and all this stuff. But um, Marcus is a fantastic character. Jason Carter is e- ever so much engaging. This episode brings him in very nicely so that if Marcus had not worked out or if uh, as a character or if Jason Carter had not worked out as an actor, they could have just quietly shuffled him off like Kodath and another ranger stationed on B5 could be had been sitting at the war council table. Maybe they could have killed him off like Keffer. And no, he makes his mark on the show and he is every bit as important as any other actor and it is a crime that he gets killed off and claudia christian leaves the show anyway he probably mm -hmm. he probably if jms has said that if he had known that claudia christian wasn't going to hang on for the fifth season he probably wouldn't have killed him off Mm. (sighs) 
Lissai. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, but, uh, you know, wh- what are some of the things that makes Marcus not Keffer? Uh, sense of humor, capable <laughs> acting, yes. um, motivation. You know, he's got yeah. a backstory right from the beginning, mm-hmm. whereas Keffer is just this guy you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, he he is a he's a fantastic character. You know, speaking of Keffer as this just this guy you know, I think one of the problems with Keffer is 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 that he's just this guy that everybody knows and that mm-hmm. we're supposed to feel like we know but we don't. Whereas Marcus has the advantage of coming in and not being having introduced. previous contact with everybody, yeah. so he's being introduced to us in a way that feels much more natural than suddenly sitting with everybody in Earhart's. Yeah, and I like the way that uh, he and it's subtle because we don't really know that it's coming, but. He and Ivanova just have a casual conversation on on the bridge, mm-hmm. you know. And we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common, yeah. you know. All that stuff, you know. This is going to be the big star-crossed lover story of Babylon Five, <laughs> the big uh, the big unrequited love yeah. story, uh, all that stuff. And we don't immediately get to the Ivanova mistrusts uh, stage of the game. We have we have casual getting to know each other, and we'll get we'll get there later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I, I just there is a game plan here, and uh, because this season was designed to be exactly what it is with a single writer and a single overarching strategy for getting from here to Zahadum, um, it just works perfectly. Future seasons are not like this. JMS only wrote all of season four because he wasn't sure that they were going to get a fifth season. And so here we go. Here we go. I have to pull the same trick all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He only got he only got Neil Gaiman to do one episode of season five. Um, and and there was also a bit of a scramble that, OK, we had to accelerate a lot of the story for season four. What are we going to do? We're yeah. going to have to do more in season five with the whole building a new empire kind of thing. Um, this season is true to itself and it's well planned. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't entirely say that about season four and season five. Yeah. And, you know, I just really like the, you know, how even in the opening credits, you know, they basically lay it all out. Uh, Ivanova starts saying, you know, this is Babylon 5. It was meant for peace. It failed. So it's like we know stuff is coming. We don't know that it's it's a civil war. We don't know that it's a civil war, but yeah. We don't know how. We don't know why. We just know it is. And it's coming. Um, which sort of fits with the point of no return, you know, this this feeling that it, there's going to be a point at, during this season where things are going to tip over the the avalanche that, you know, Kosh is like, you know, it's too late for the pebbles to vote. We're, we're going to be in the <laughs> middle of that by the end of this season. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you only get the uh, season titles if you're a uh, diehard Internet fan of Babylon 5 or you pay attention to the uh, DVD cases. You don't get these season titles if you are getting these episodes digitally. Uh, but I like the way that every episode, every season has a title based on one of the episodes, and it is perfectly apt for this season. Um, mm-hmm. Everything irrevocably changes. Yeah. Um. I also found it kind of interesting um, the um, as um, Nadali's going around to the ambassadors where, you know, again, uh, yet again, you know, you know, Jakar lays out, you know, this a, a lays out truth and the um, EarthGov official is immediately sort of like legend, you know, that, that that's not concrete evidence. That's not enough for me, for you to say a thousand years ago, they were on your world and left you alone, apparently. Um, although, you know, as we'll learn later, at some point, they managed to remove telepaths out of the Narm population, because that telepaths are bad for the shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like that. Um, this time, it sort of, um, sort of struck me, uh, you know, Londo was, you know, talking about his his prophetic dream. Um, and he's, you know, he doesn't even realize, I don't think, that he's helping the shadows by continuing to make this seem like some, you know, some kind of weird legend thing or, you know, that not, it's not important, basically. He's un- he's undercutting um, the threat of the shadows as he describes his experience to the EarthGov official. So, yep. 
I'm just taking a quick look at uh, at season three's episodes and realizing mm-hmm. that that the first episode of Babylon 5 that my friends and I watched most of, I was thinking it, it happened earlier, but no, it's like halfway through the season because it wasn't, we didn't really start paying attention until a late delivery from Avalon. And I mm-hmm. cannot believe how late that is and how yeah. much stuff happens before yeah, it's, it. It's and it's how after much the big three. Yeah, yeah and after- two two plus two entire seasons and yet we were still able to at that point fall in love with the show and jump in so i look forward to getting to that point and being able to talk about how we had no idea what had come before and still loved the show mm-hmm. yeah but yeah and it kind of struck me just you know sort of how quickly you know the idea of the civil war coming in and you know babylon 5 is going to declare its epi- its independence in episode 10 of this episode that, that's, wow. you know, kind of soon, you know, it mm-hmm. feels like that that tells you just how much more there is to tell beyond that. Uh, one more thing I thought was kind of clever um, when Sheridan is at one point Sheridan sort of recounting like the bits and pieces that people know. Maybe it's in the War Council room. Um, he brings up very briefly the idea of um, Anna's death on the Icarus. Mm-hmm. You know, and Morden's connection. So that's a very sort of subtle little way to sort of drop that back in because it's been a while since that's been mentioned. And of course, you know, Anna is going to turn up again at the end of the season. Yep. At exactly the wrong moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much good stuff to come. I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. This will be Stephen's um, crisis with with drugs. Will will we'll develop and mm-hmm. explode. Um, we're to the point where he's got to do walkabout and completely separate himself from his, everything and his job and his friends to to get it uh, to get clean. Uh, the other half of Babylon Squared drops. We get our two parter war without end um, and uh, the um, cycling the closing of Sinclair's story. So yeah, <laughs> tons of stuff. Every two weeks, we've got to wait. We've got to wait two weeks for each of these. It's just maddening, <laughs> maddening, I tell you. Yeah, I think this one's going to be the hardest to. to I think do you're that right. I, I think you're right. Well, once again, thank you all for listening uh, as we jump into the next stage of the Babylon 5 story. We're very glad to have you all following along with us. Uh, next time again, please watch Convictions. Uh, that will be the next episode that we discuss. Elevator and- scene! Elevator scene! Yes, <laughs> you get the elevator scene. <laughs> yes, Jakar and Londo in an elevator. That's all Jimmy has needs. <laughs> We're in here! Okay. We're in here! <laughs> and with that, uh, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. <laughs> <laughs> and Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. I can hear you.